Hello there, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman, and you're listening to Exploring Different Brains. Hi, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains, and we have a couple of different brains for you here today. We have Eric Zimmerman, and uh, we have Sean Jenkins, who's with him here today, too. Eric, tell us how this whole thing got started. Come on, tell them, tell them about yourselves. As far as the Buddy Project? Absolutely. Tell us about the Buddy Project. Oh, I uh, started the Buddy Project back in uh, 2007 while I was working for a nonprofit that's actually just based uh, a little south of here, Best Buddies International. Um, we take uh, computers, we rehab them, and put them in the homes of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, mostly working with people with developmental disabilities. And what year did you start the, that? 2007. 2007. How's it going? Uh, last uh, eight years have been uh, been interesting. I uh, at first when I started the organization, I uh, I thought we were really going to go out and work with the individuals and and make money off of grants, but that wasn't so. Uh, um, that didn't happen the way I would like it. Instead, we kind of. Uh, had to diverse in the different way, uh, ways of getting money, uh, such as we sell computers. We created something called Old Farm Computer, where we sell computers to uh, people who um, otherwise uh, wouldn't be able to afford a computer, that, but that doesn't qualify for our program. They don't have a disability. So, so you have two different companies. You have well, the a same not-for-profit or a for-profit? It's the both non-profit. Both, See, both it's, just, it's just the one that's a brand underneath the Buddy Project called Old Farm Computer where we take these computers, uh, all different types, refurbish them, and we sell them to make money for the Buddy Project. Yeah, buy parts for other computers, um, you know, pay for business expenses and whatnot, uh, fees. Um, so we're able to, at the same time, offer someone who otherwise want to be able to afford a new computer something that's just as nice as a new computer at the same time while helping the Buddy Project. And uh, so we started that doing that about five years ago. And, you know, we, we're still not, we have a lot of issues with growing pains. And I didn't think of that when I started the organization. I thought it was going to be smooth sailing. Uh, and um, so uh, I... It's been issues as far as you know, keeping funding coming in, and we're only we're under a twenty-five thousand dollar organization a year. I think we might have just hit the twenty-five thousand dollar mark, and so I'm on disability. I don't I don't like to uh, always volunteer that info, but I'm on disability, and then I make very little through the Buddy Project. So right, right now we're based on my parents' house, and they're we're I'm lucky enough that they let me run the business out of their house. Well, listen, Steve Jobs started in a garage with Wise. You know, yeah, you yeah. guys are starting. Uh, so, it's not how you. It's not how you start the so, game. It's how you finish. Yeah, we need to start a capital fund where we're going to get money to get a building because we need to do that. My parents are aging, and um, so. It's, uh, but we've helped people through. Uh, people with special needs coming to recycle with us, take computers apart we can no longer use, put them in. Um, computers we can and helps get them get job skills. A lot of these individuals are otherwise, um, they haven't been able to get jobs elsewhere. So they're able to come and at least get something on their resume and interact with other people. So let's back up a little bit. Um, before you started the Buddy Project to help all these other people, you yourself were diagnosed with Asperger's? Yes, yeah, so I was diagnosed uh, rather late. I was diagnosed in high school. 
uh, with uh, having Asperger's. I was diagnosed, I had a very turbulent childhood, and I'm actually on a speaking tour talking about my childhood and how, because um, autism wasn't really known as much so back uh, when I was a child. I'm 28 years old. So when I was uh, late, you know, when I was a little child, it wasn't really known. And so they diagnosed me with you know, having ADD and having all these other things, which, yeah, I may have, like obsessive compulsive disorder, I have a really bad anxiety disorder. But all the other things, it just kind of didn't, they didn't know I was on the spectrum. Uh, so it took actually until I seen a certain uh, doctor um, and his wife worked with a lot of kids on the spectrum. And he's like, I really want you to talk to my, my wife. He was the kind of the old-fashioned psychiatrist where he would also do therapy. And so him and I would just sit around and talk for an hour, and then he would give me my prescriptions. And, but he, after all the things I would tell him and all my, my obsessive interest in the things and my knowledge in the things and the, and the way, the, a lot of the social issues that I have, he was like, I, I, you really need to talk to my wife. So I left my therapist for, uh, I had for like seven years at the time and went and uh, spoke uh, to his wife. And she was uh, very helpful and she was able to, Helped me with a lot of things and said, Yeah, you know, you're definitely on the spectrum. And later on, I was, um, I was also uh, had uh, officially diagnosed by the state of Maryland. I was, I was having that. I had to go through uh, special testing, this, you know, from a psychologist and they charge your arm and a leg for it. <laughs> but uh, in order to be, get some of the services I did get, I had to go and do that. So, now, you've got some speaking engagements down here in Florida. Uh, tomorrow, I'm at the uh, Ark of Broward County. Um, they're they're a great organization. Yeah, like I've been in contact with them. I, I, um, I, go, I go around the entire country. Last year I spoke at UC Davis. I was at the Wharton School for Business in Philadelphia. Um, I've been Massachusetts speaking with the ARC up there. Um, locally in, in Frederick, Maryland, I work with uh, um, the ARC of Frederick County. Well, I, I, me and my organization work with them in, in different ways as far as uh, we... we um, um, I go out and work with, they have a, like a, uh, an awareness campaign for people with developmental disabilities. They go out and talk to the local schools, uh, to the neurotypical students who other, you know, might be candidates for bullying these individuals. So we go out and we uh, speak to, to them and tell them about autism and t uh, tell them about, uh, you know, how these kids, you know, how they, what, it, what it's like through the, their eyes and the issues they have and uh, just creates awareness and acceptance. So I go out and talk about, you know, the, the issues I had in high school and or making friends and whatnot. And uh, so we do that around the, the Frederick County Public School System. And then we also work with the ARC. Um, a lot of their uh, individuals will come and volunteer with us, a lot of their, the people that they do case management for. And we have also recently started teaching the IT um, A-plus certification curriculum to some now of these Now, what is your own educational background, Eric? Well, uh, my own education. Self-taught? I went to school formally for um, becoming a computer technician. Um, but that was, everything was done in high school. And then I got involved with uh, the nonprofit Best Buddies. Um, and I kind of just fell in love with the organization. I felt at home, and then I ended up, long story short, I didn't talk all day about it, but I ended up getting a job in the Baltimore office, and it was through a lot of persistence. I, was, I just want to go away, so they finally hired me. And I took a special interest in uh, nonprofit development, and, uh, and basically I learned kind of how to run a nonprofit. Um, so while I was working there, I thought I was going to work there for my entire life, and I thought I'd eventually move down to Miami and, and work with them at headquarters. But um, 
uh, while I was working there, I, I did a lot of like data database uh, entry, a lot of the membership applications we would have to do. And I noticed a lot of the uh, people we served didn't have adequate access to technology. Or they're, they're slower learners, or they had different barriers. And so at the time, um, they had to share a computer with their parents or their siblings, and they weren't really getting the time they needed to really use a computer. And then uh, the older individuals were in group homes or living by themselves and couldn't afford a computer. So I've seen a lot of these computers being thrown out um, and whatnot. I've seen them on Craigslist. People were just throwing stuff out. And uh, I love... I, so I took an, I, I love working in IT. I love uh, working with my hands. And I love uh, the nonprofit field, and I love working with people with special needs. And so I have a passion for it. So I thought, why not, why not uh, come up with this idea where I take these computers that are otherwise being thrown out? They're perfectly good. You know, people are getting rid of, refurbish them, put windows on them, and put them out in the homes of people with special needs. And so I started doing that. I got, I came up with the organization name, got a logo together, got some people to serve on a board. Um, and so at that point, I, um, I was just kind of on the back burner. And then a uh, recession was kind of going on, and I was laid off from my job uh, at Best Buddies up in Baltimore. And uh, I was like, well, what am I going to do? At the point, I was on, already on disability, so I was no rush to go. And I live with my parents. So there was no rush to, like, all right, I need a job right now. But I was thinking, what am I going to do? Am I going to move to another office within, the, within Best Buddies? I actually had an opportunity for a job down here. And uh, you know, I was thinking of what, what, I, what, was, what was I going to do? So I decided, well, I had this idea. This is kind of over New Year's. It was Christmas 2007. And I had this idea. Um, I've had the, had the Buddy Project there uh, just on the back burner. Like, Why not just run with this? It's been, uh, running the organization has been very, uh, we've helped many people in many different ways over the years, um, in so many different ways, and I, I really enjoy what I do. Someone actually asked, wants me, asked me that once, once asked me that, and I was like, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I still wouldn't be doing it if I, if I uh, didn't enjoy it. But um, it's just a lot of funding and uh, has been an issue, because you can't rely on volunteers for everything. And then uh, funding's been an issue, and then just general um, growth, uh, issues with growth and, you know, issues. So you speak around the country, huh, also? Yeah, yeah, so that's part of the program. We, we started doing that about a year ago. Um, people always told me you should go talk about uh, what you do, you should go talk to others. And, and um, so I have a special interest in going to the support groups, uh, autism support groups around the country and talking to parents of individuals that have been just diagnosed. Now, how do our, our viewers who are interested in getting in touch with you, how do they get in touch with you? Um, well, you can learn more about the program at thebuddyproject.net. Um, um, you can also contact me, my personal email, well, my business email, which is also my personal email. I use that more than anything. It's Eric Zimmerman at thebuddyproject.net. Thebuddyproject.net is the main website. Yeah, yeah. And then also I have um, uh, websites on my speaking tours. So um, right now my, my, I'm coming out with an ebook next month called Anything But Ordinary. And it just talks about my life so far and how, how I've lived it in different ways and how I've never really let people tell me no. And I've always pursued, you know, what I want. I, have, I talk about uh, um, getting my job with Best Buddies, you know, uh, to creating this organization, to... Um, I was talking to you about the, uh, the OR, how I have an interest in uh, surgery. I have just with my IT interests, I just, I'm just fascinated with the OR. I'm very, and I don't think people quite understand it at the hospital, why you're so interested in this. But uh, 
I was, it took me, I worked at the hospital for four, four years between a volunteer and an employee. Um, uh, I, I worked like one day a week. Um, the money really didn't matter when I was paid because it was so little, but I enjoyed it and, and uh, I made a lot of friends. But I, it took me three years to actually, or two, about two and a half years to, of uh, talking to the OR nurse manager for her to finally sit down and talk to me. I would, I would email her, like I would never met her, but I would email her like every six months and say, I, I want to I do this job called OR processor, where basically just turning rooms and getting patients and prepping patients and uh, very menial job, um, but I wanted to get in and I want to get my foot in the door. Let me and, tell you, there's no menial <laughs> job in the operating room. Yeah, so, They're all important. It's a whole team yeah, effort in there. I really, so I really wanted to uh, get in the door doing that, and I was willing to do it for free, but of course for insurance regulations, you, you have to be an employee. and. Uh, um, so, uh, but no one was, you know, they, they would not really, the, ner the operating room administration really wouldn't talk to me about it. Uh, I really didn't get to meet uh, uh, them. And so every six months I would contact them and like, oh, we don't have any money in the budget or we don't have anything right now. And then, or sometimes she would just ignore me. And then, uh, so I, I would take her candy. I would uh, take uh, candy to the uh, to her office. I, I still didn't get a chance to meet her because she wasn't want to be there. But I'd take her candy every once in a while. And finally, I told her. I said, "Well, I, kn I know that you, you don't have a job opening, or you're not able to do this for me right now. But is there anything I can do in your department right now?" And uh, so she says, "When can you come in and talk to me?" And so that's uh, so I made an appointment, go and talk with her. And she says, "Your persistence just just got to me." <laughs> she so she thought I wanted to take a full time job as an OR processor, but I, I'm not able to because of uh, both uh, running my nonprofit and, and some personal things, such as the disability funding. Uh, I want to get off of it, but it's just uh, well, I, you have disabilities. It's hard. Yeah. So yeah, they make it. It's very it's very difficult the way the system's set up, and so. Um, so, I, but no, I told her, I said, I would want to do it like eight hours or whatever. And she says, we have no jobs open like that right now. But she, um, but she put me over in, uh, with the sterile processing uh, unit in the operating room where I um, learned instruments. And, and, uh, and that's very fascinating. And I kind of want to learn more about surgical IT and learn about the robots and, and whatnot. Yeah, well, it's uh, interesting stuff. You know, there's a... A lot of uh, similarities between IT technology and the operating room because yeah. they both have to kind of be exact. There's not a lot of room for uh, being a little bit off. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you can't do it. Now, when you travel, your your traveling buddy is Sean, huh? Yeah, that's my traveling buddy, Sean. He, yeah. uh, so Sean Jenkins. One now, you were, we were talking earlier, and you're saying you're probably on the spectrum too. Yeah, you know, when I was in college, they figured out that I had you know, ADD really bad. And uh, my current therapist, she says I probably have, you know, the, the ADAD, ADD and ADHD, uh, even though it's not represented by, you know, uh, rapid movement. He's definitely special. He's special. Uh, if you hang out with us. Well, see, that's, that's what I'm getting at. He's definitely not uh, neurotypical. Well, I don't know who is. I haven't met <laughs> yeah, many well, neurotypicals, exactly. but... Uh, but we're all, I think we're all on a spectrum, not just an autism spectrum, but a, just a wide spectrum. And everybody's got different traits, usually a bunch of them, uh, no matter what you are, even in the so-called neurotypicals. I mean, one in five Americans is on uh, like prescription anti-anxiety medications, yeah. and one in 13 Americans has PTSD. 
And then you got one in 47 over the age of three now who have some form of autism, yeah. one in Very 68 births. And then dyslexia is big. You know, in fact, on um, some of the people I'm meeting from all over the world, in other countries, dyslexia is like huge. And I'm sure it's much bigger here than we, uh, when we do now. What we'd like to do also on exploring different brains is you have the benefit of a very rich life's experience. You're traveling the country. You have a not-for-profit, the Buddy Project. Dot net. That's it's, it's, what, it's called the Buddy Project. But it's called the, the Buddy Project. But the web page is the Buddy Project. The Buddy Project. Dot net, and uh, and you're doing great things for other people. You're rebuilding computers. You're you're getting them into the special needs homes, and uh, you know doing doing so much. But uh, we like to give a few tips people can really use like stuff like you know you know it really helped me what might that be what might you tell our audience listening someone whose brain is a little bit different kind of a couple of tips if you would well um be yourself <laughs> um it's, it's i've had a lot of issues uh, socially especially with communication with people um you know i can't read people very well um, so, you know, and if, if you have a question about something, ask them, don't assume, I guess. Um, as far as other things go, um, if uh, you need help uh, something, ask, ask for it. You know, you've got to be persistent and speak for yourself and advocate. And that's uh, kind of what I talk about, you know, how important it is to uh, talk and, and, and advocate for yourself and get what you need. Not what you want, but what you need to be successful. Um, well, that sounds like that song. Can't always get what you want, but you get what you need. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, I've definitely had a, a interesting life so far. I've seen probably uh, so many different things as far as the social uh, aspect of like just seeing those life issues. A lot of people are judgmental. That's one thing I, I see in the world. Um, even very close to me, a lot of people are judgmental, and. Uh, I, I just almost everyone I run into, and basically I just love everyone and, and accept everyone for their differences. Um, now, let me ask you this. Um, March 4th, I'm very proud that we're giving the first ever neurodiversity lectures to the American Academy of Orthopedic Ooh. Surgeons. And because I, as an orthopedic surgeon, got like zero training in neurodiversity, and uh, the, the good people at the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons read the Asper Tools book on Asperger's autism and neurodiversity, and they said, you know, we're going to have you come and talk to our patient communication skills group who go in and mentor many of the residencies and the uh, medical schools. And in speaking to the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, I wondered if you would have any tips for orthopedic surgeons on treating the neurodiverse autistic or Asperger's or person whose brain is a bit different. What advice would you have for orthopedic surgeons? Well, for actually any physician in general, <laughs> the advice I have uh, is for people, um, a lot of people who have autism have anxiety or they uh, have issues, especially the more severe autism, you get a lot of issues with communication and, and understanding uh, what's going on. So basically is be aware of that. 
um, you know, I'm high functioning and I've been to uh, surgeons uh, or, um, or physicians who are both, uh, both in medical and surgery, medicine and surgery, and they, um, you know, I, they would want to do a procedure, a minor procedure on me, uh, you know, check for something, and, and they would usually do it in the office, and I'm like, no, I can't do that. It's, uh, you're not, not going to be successful with this. Um, and, I said, I have, and, they're, and they just don't really care. They just think it's overkill, you know, to make someone comfortable. So for me, it's like I feel that they, they really need to listen to the patient and understand the patient as a whole. Um, and and uh, that's what I think, a lot, and I, th I don't think a lot of physicians always do that. I'm also going to be speaking in Chicago to the Special Care Dentistry Association. You, whose brain is a little bit different, you have Asperger's, you have anxiety, and there's a reason I made anxiety the first chapter in Asperger's. Yeah, yeah I, I have to go to the operating room, and that's one reason, that's one reason I became fascinated and learned about the operating rooms, because I had to go to the operating room for such small things because I, I, I would need to be anesthetized for such small things. Is there any way a dentist could treat you without taking you to the operating room? Um, well, that became a big thing recently, as you know, is, a, uh, is that specialty in working with people with autism and dentistry. Um, up in Frederick, where I live, we have a, a, a dentist who actually goes to the operating room and works with kids with autism. Um, for me, um, it's really strange. Um, I've never had, all right, I enjoy getting my teeth clean. I, I, I don't know, I just like the, the feeling of it. Sometimes it hurts a little bit. But if I have to have a cavity, which I've never really had, then at that point, I'd have to go to the operating room. Um, Tell us why, because from my perspective, um, I think it's multifactorial. I think that, I think that in retrospect, the people I treated who I did not know were on the spectrum. The young patient who would be screaming when you just took a cast cutter, and I didn't realize the senses were hyper to sound, to vibration, to all of that, you know? Uh, the lack of preparation for them, not having them come in with their family a couple of days early just to feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah, or a lot of, a lot of times even have their family member with them. There's a lot of, Especially being an adult, a lot of places you go where, yeah, you, I, you know, I would need my mother or I need someone with me. Uh, you know, a lot of places where, you know, leave your mother out there, you know, we're going we're gonna to get the IV started or do this. Like, that's as far as surgery goes. Uh, they don't understand, like, yeah, I need my mom um, or I need someone with me. To, uh, and, um, lot <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of, uh, I'm very sensitive, as far as my anxiety goes, I'm very sensitive to touch. I'm very sensitive, yes, to noise, um, and that just makes my anxiety worse. Cause I'm, um, and, uh, and what may hurt someone to one extent can hurt me even more, because I'm more sensitive. So you were just giving us some very good tips from your point of view for doctors and for dentists. And you know, these are some of the things as I was writing Aspiratools, the, the things I just never knew about. I never knew about the hypersensitivity in all the senses, touch, temperature, sight, sound, uh, you know, you name it, smell. Uh, my daughter Rebecca is uh, tutoring in an after-school program. She tutors uh, Aspies there, and uh, uh, one of the teachers who was not cognizant of some of the hypersenses issues made a very pungent uh, 
stew and was heating it up in the microwave and the smell physically got 15 out of the 30 kids physically sick where they had to go outside. Whereas the neurotypical kids weren't really bothered by it, they just smelled something. Yeah. These are some of the things. Um, what other advice would you have for the families and the neurodiverse themselves, people with Asperger's or all different kinds of labels and their families, what advice would you have for them? Well, uh, the, I, the advice I would give is like everyone, everyone is different, whether you're on the autism spectrum or not. Everyone has their own uh, sets of issues, and that basically it doesn't define you. That uh, you basically you can go and achieve anything you want to achieve. You may need special supports or whatnot, but don't don't let things discourage you. Always go after it. And uh, you know, if someone says you can't do something, tell you know, tell them. Show them, show them different. You know, yeah, you may need some help, help with it, but show them different, and 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 uh, you'll find success that way. Um, when I was uh, in my training for uh, becoming a computer tech, I had, um, I actually had to utilize an aid because, um, well, they gave me an aid. I really didn't even have to say anything, but um, at um, I wouldn't have been able to do it without her. But in the in the in the regular public schools, um, I was in IEP classes, and I didn't I didn't need an aid. Uh, but in the technology center, I, I didn't utilize an aid. And um, at one point, the, uh, the the instructor who was in computer tech um, took my mother and uh, the special needs um, advocate and myself, and just like you know, Eric may want to look into doing something else. I don't think he's going to be a good computer tech. He's not able to keep up with this. Um, and at, at that. Uh, I, and I just I proved them wrong, <laughs> and I was able to uh, graduate and, and, and get my cert, certificate. Well, I did I did read something that was uh, I think it was encouraging to me. I have to read it more thoroughly, but you know, this one size fits all system That's that we find in education in the workplace, where we're not one size fits all. We're, we're different. We're all different. So if I have someone who's hard of hearing like me, it doesn't doesn't do any good if I'm deaf to just holler at me and at same token if I'm blind it doesn't help if you write on the blackboard so you have to adapt now what I did read was that instead of the requirement that you must take a foreign language which is very laudable to take a foreign language but if your brain works a certain way where you just love computers and you love coding and you're not capable of learning another language they're now there's a movement afoot to substitute, allow you, the student, to substitute. They did that in my county. I'm sorry? They did that in my county, where I was able, if I went to the Career Technology Center, I did not have to take a foreign language. Right. Didn't have to take a foreign language, could take coding what you'd done. And, and it's like, you know, in the Asper Tools book, harnessing the hyper-interests. If someone has an interest, instead of saying, stop talking about dinosaurs, let them become a paleontologist and make a very good living. You know, so you've been able to harness your hyper interest in computers and information technology and tech, and that's what you're doing, and you're helping other people. And thank you for inspiring everybody today. We've been talking to uh, Eric Zimmerman and Sean Jenkins, and Eric Zimmerman is the founder of the Buddy Project. We encourage everyone to uh, go to the website, thebuddyproject.net. 
If you want to donate a computer that just might be laying around, not doing anything, let's recycle it in a positive way to help other people. Thank you very much, Eric. Thank you. And thank you, Sean. Thank you, sir. We've been talking to Eric Zimmerman and with Sean Jenkins. And Eric is the founder of The Buddy Project, which you can find on the internet at thebuddyproject.net. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.com.